Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Hello, I'm James Holland and I just want to tell you about my brand new TV series, Normandy 44, D-Day and the Battle for France. It's the first release from new production company Typhoon Pictures and the start of a slate of new and fresh films and series focusing on World War II. The approach is a simple one. No dumbing down. No repeating what's been watched over the previous 15 minutes. Not filling screens with old archive that's been seen over and over. And instead, getting down to the nitty-gritty detail and showing viewers stuff they don't already know. Yet, with all the high-level production values, everyone should expect from the best television productions around. Normandy 44, based very much on the research I did for the book of the same name, sees me hooking up with ex-US Army Ranger Dr Mike Simpson and touring not only the beaches, but the wider Normandy battlefield in a fresh and original series that, we hope, finally does justice to the scale and complexity of an epic, brutal campaign. To see this series, all you've got to do is go to www.normandy44.info. That's normandy44.info. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy it. Attention! Attention! <laughs> attention, attention, which is, of course, English for Achtung, Achtung. Ah, oh, at last. At last. <laughs> it's taken us about a year. Um, uh, given nobody seems to be paying any attention whatsoever at the moment, I thought it might be a good idea to use the old mother tongue. For some people, life remains the same. James, for example, is still in his home office completing his latest masterwork on Sicily, so no change there. Yep. I, on the other hand, am trapped in my office getting hairier by the hour there's not much call for a pub landlord when they've shut all the pubs. Oh, my <laughs> God. My crisps. My beautiful crisps. Anyway, welcome, friends, to We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the podcast, which will continue through the current crisis. Don't think you can get away from us that easily. Now, there's no tunnelling out of We Have Ways of Making You Talk and scattering the dust in the exercise yard. It will, of course, contain coded messages for our operatives trapped on mainland Europe, especially those choosing to self-isolate on a Spanish beach. Now... We promised you extra content and we've been as good as our word. I hope some of you are enjoying Zeno's magnificent novel, The Cauldron, about the men trapped at Arnhem fighting at Oosterbeek. It's been released a chapter a day on our regular podcast feed and it's well worth a listen. Um, and last night, the chapter I read last night, goodness me, I, I thought I was never going to get out of Oosterbeek last night. Blimey. <laughs> <laughs> There's a long chapter in the middle full of, because um, it's, it's, it's an action-packed novel, but there is a long chapter in the middle where they all, well, it, he basically spent time on the main protagonist where they were all weighing up their relationships with one another and, and, uh, and all that. And I, got, yeah. I, I, God, I got stuck. I got stuck last night. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> anyway, and then it's that thing when you're doing an audio book, audio book you, get, you suddenly realise the page turn is the end of the chapter and you think, oh, brilliant. <laughs> I can stop. I can go there. I anyway. can actually go to bed. <laughs> exactly. I can go exactly here last night. I can go to bed now, thank God. Anyway. Anyway, um, uh, let's get started, shall we? I'm going to call in James using the only code appropriate. Broadsword calling Danny Boy. Broadsword calling Danny Boy. Over. Come in, Broadsword. This is Father McCree. <laughs> that sort of worked, didn't it? It did sort of work. I mean, they did, the thing about, one of the problems with their Eagles' dare is they'd never been communicating over open comms like that. 
I mean, it's just silly. Yeah, I know. Even but though they're obviously talking it. Well, there's so many things that are silly about it, but that, that's not the point. I think maybe what we could do is we could watch it um, one evening or afternoon yeah. and record the commentary and broadcast that as a We Have Ways Where Eagles Dare special. Oh, now you're talking. Wouldn't that be fun? That might be that might be great fun. Um, maybe ne- we find out. We'll get we'll get someone on it. Um, get one of our get one of our orderlies on it and find out. Um, uh, find out when it's next on Channel Five or because it's it's never off the telly. Basically, it's on sort of some sort of deep rotate. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll do a we'll do a you know and you have to sit down with a bottle to watch it. I think and because you've got to be as pissed as Richard Burton. Yeah. <laughs> There's an amazing, there's an amazing novel by Philip Norman, but it's a, it's basically yeah. a very, very autobiographical novel about his time as a junior um, journalist working for the Sunday Times magazine in the 1960s. Right, and he has to go and interview right. Richard Burton uh, on set yeah. of Where Eagles Dare, and it's one of the funniest yeah. episodes I've ever read in a novel. <laughs> It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> oh well, maybe we should dig that up and we read that do. out as well. We probably I mean, it's do not need really to be the on the same. War, is it? We need to be on the same sofa for that one. I think we probably do. So when this is all blown over, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, that's that's something to to look forward to. Anyway, we have a heaving postbag this week and a couple of messages I'd like to read out. First up, Tony Cowards. Um, uh, Tony's a, a comedian friend of mine, a one-liner guy. He's a very, very funny man. Um, and it's very sweet that he likes the podcast. Um, it, 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 you know, what's, in, what's been interesting about doing the, this podcast, actually, is the people who've come out of the woodwork, who I know, who also um, have a little burning ember for the Second World War. That, um, and that's always, that's especially amongst my, my tribe, the comics. But, but, it's everyone up, over, so Tony, but it's everyone over 45, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think, basically. Who's yeah. a bloke? It's everyone over 45, basically. Anyway, he says, currently working on a We Have Ways drinking game to play if you're working your way through the back catalogue. Drink once for James emphasising the <laughs> operational. <laughs> God, you're going to get... Make sure it's not hard spirits. Drink once, drink for, once, Al, for, drink once for Al having a moan about Spitfires and my view on them. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're, you're really down on the Spitfire. Drink once for James saying off the radar. And drink twice for Al getting excited about a tank. I mean, this is a surefire way of getting hammered, isn't it? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. <laughs> I don't really know how to respond to that, to be honest. But the operational part one. is really uh, important, by the way. Yes, we know. <laughs> I, spent a, I spent a year being browbeaten about it. All I want to do is, I just occasionally want to talk about the tactical, James. That's all. <laughs> just every now and again. Not asking for much. <laughs> uh, and this well, is because, a... because because let's be honest, on the tactical side, things weren't as ropey as they've been made out either. That's the that's the thing. As a reflection of the operational and the strategic. Hold on, I want I've I've got, I've got a cracker from Matt here. He says, "I'd like right. to submit a formal complaint." Oh dear, I religiously oh, listen no. to every episode. I find the topics fascinating. Good. Love your personalities and what you both bring to the table. Amazing. Thank you. Okay, Creep. Well, that sounds good. Creep. Creep. But, He's overcooking it now. But every topic <laughs> leaves me with more areas of knowledge gaps that I need to be filled. That I need to have filled, I think is what he means. Each pod leaves yeah, me either directly filled, or indirectly buying a new book. I can't keep up and I'm spending a fortune on books. I've even returned back to RF Conigsby after Al's visit. Keep up the hard work, lads. Oh, that's a nice message. Well, thank you. That's very sweet from Matt. Now he knows how I feel. I mean, the amount of reading I've had to do in the last year. Like, dear God. I mean, the, the, uh, um, uh, Adam, uh, we've talked about it a little l- lately. Adam Tooze's book about the Nazi economy, Wages of Destruction, right? 
I, that, there's a lot of economics in that book. Now, I don't know about you, James, right? Because <laughs> you don't write a lot about economics in your books. But sometimes I'm one of those people, I go to see my bank manager or my accountant, and we only get like a minute and a half, 90 seconds into the conversation, and he can see me glazing over. And the, with my, the, with my, the, some of the financial advice I've had in my life, I don't know if it's been good or bad. I just don't know because what happens is a minute and a half in, I'm, I'm lost. It's numbers. I don't, yeah. I'm lost. Exactly. So, so I, it's a very good book that Adam Two's book, but there's an awful lot of stuff about balance of payments where I'm kind of reading, going, yeah, this shit's important. Mm. Oh, that sounds bad, and I have absolutely <laughs> well, no idea what's well, going you're, on. Well, you're exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm on exactly the same page as you on this one. Anything to do with money, finances, anything like that, I'm just not interested. I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm interested in having it. But I don't understand yeah. it. I don't get it. I'm not constantly looking for the cheapest phone bill or cheapest electricity. I just don't care. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, it might be, it might as well be Esperanto to me as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but when I was doing, when, when I've, you know, I was trying to, when I was doing the first part of War in the West, I was trying to work out Nazi economics uh, and the, and the four year plan and all the rest of it and the Z plan and trying to work out how it just, how Goering and Co were doing it. Um, and, yeah. and I and I was reading Adam Tooth, obviously, and I was also looking through the um, incredibly dense and complicated and detailed German official histories, which has vast amounts on all this stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I just don't understand. I just do not understand what you're talking about. So I then had to go to my um, my great old um, uh, mate from from university, and who is also now my next door neighbour. Yeah who is a financial whiz, and say, Pete, can you just translate right. this into normal English for me, please? Can you explain what's going well, on? An and I actually sat down and had a proper session with him, and he explained everything to me. Uh, and I tried very, very, really? very hard not to glaze over. Uh, and I immediately... And I, and, I rec- <laughs> and I recorded it, because I knew that the moment I'd walked out of the room, I'd forget everything he told me, because I, I just can't think like that. <laughs> uh, and I also made copious notes. And uh, and I also bought, bought the... I think it was. Um, do you know the, the what was it called? The Idiot's Guide or whatever they're called. Um, what, yeah, 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 yeah. The Idiot's Guide to Economics. Dummies. Gu- yeah. Dummies Guide to Economics for Dummies. I got that as well. Yeah, I've got that. And I got a brief history of economics. And I'm yeah. 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 Uh, and so I really, really tried to nail it. And for about a week, I did understand it. Yeah. But obviously, if I read Adam Tews again now, it'd all be gobbledygook again. I wouldn't. Uh, it's gone. Yeah, yeah. But 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 but. This is the thing is that because um, because when I when I did my history degree, which is I've said before, so long ago, it actually counts as history. We were offered a statistics module. Right. Um, as as part of the degree. Yeah. Right? And it was brand new, brand new, the statistics module. Right. And I've never been a you know, I've never been a maths person. Like I say, balance of payments. Oh, OK. Right. Um, uh, if you say so. Right. Like I, I can watch a budget and go, yeah, he sounds clever. <laughs> right, I mean, I really am a complete dummy on this stuff. And yeah. um, but 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 I went on the statistics course, and basically, what was on the statistics course was a load of people either who knew how this stuff worked, or a load of people thinking this course is brand new. We're going to get a soft mark on this, right? <laughs> There's no yeah. way. There's no way we're we're all going to fail a brand new course. <laughs> Um, but 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 <laughs> so you did it. So I did it, yeah. And so we we got you know, and it's all that. Uh, uh, correlation and causation and all that sort of stuff that you really that you really we really got into that you know which actually is a thing that then that that, that explains very very um 
clearly some of what happened in the in the 30s when the Hitler government comes in and looks like it's rescuing the economy it was in fact it's a load of reforms that the Weimar people have put in place and he his his miracle jobs recovery is the uptick from that a lot like Trump's a lot like Trump's um, first couple of years of the recovering American economy in fact the things Obama had done because the thing in economics is stuff takes ages stuff takes ages to wash through I mean you know it's like the, the shock the economic shock we're going to go into now who knows? Who knows where the other end of, of that may may be? Because, the, the, you know, the government are going, we'll bounce back as soon as this is over. Well, will we? I mean, we'll, we're going to, you know, there's only one way to find out. And that's to um, stay at home, stay indoors, stay safe, ladies and gentlemen, etc. But but you know what I mean? It's, it's this this sort of um, that the economics does matter in the end. I mean, after all, the, the, all the shipping and the operational side of thing, you've got to be you've got to be rich and have your ducks in a row and your cash flow and your and and. John Maynard Keynes over in the US arguing for all that, if you want that to work too, haven't you? Well, just the fact that you know who John Maynard Keynes is, is suggests that you've got, you know, you're not a complete... Yeah, cutter. but that's because I'm from near Milton, that's because I'm from near Milton Keynes, right? And the big joke was it had been named after Milton Friedman and, Keen, and Keynes. Whereas <laughs> 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 in fact it wasn't. It was named, there's a little village called Milton Keynes in the middle of Milton I've Keynes. I've never heard that. That's just completely brilliant. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, the the economics joke about Milton Keynes. Yeah, that's very funny. That's very funny. And that, and that, well, you see, that's the only times you, you ever laugh at economics. Anyway, we have another excellent uh, piece of insight now from Neil Weber. In reference to a recent episode, the number 13 is a bad number in Western Christian superstition. Both Japan and the Red Army had a 13th army. Oh, and love the pod. Yeah, that's right. That's quite right. They did, didn't they? And uh, that's interesting that because that, that, the Red Army... The Red Army, of course, the Soviets sort of surfed a wage of religiosity, didn't they, in the Second World War? And, and uh, Stalin relaxed um, religious, basically, uh, uh, clampdowns and all, that, all that, that sort of stuff during the war, didn't he? As a, as a, as a way of mobilising the, the Russian people. He kind of let the Orthodox yeah. Church cut them a bit of slack, didn't he? So that's quite, that's quite interesting that, nevertheless, they had a 13th Army. Um, well, I think the thing that's, that's really interesting good. about that's, that's the good... um, uh, the thing that's so interesting about the the Red Army is just how many different peoples are involved in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. such yeah. a vast area. There's like, you know, well, and there's... then and then and then after the war, it's painted as a as a as a Mother Russia um, victory. Was in fact you've got you've got people from all the all the Soviet republics. You've got you know got people from I mean, Kamchatka. Well, exactly. As as ethnically diverse, a, literally a multi multicultural army. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, Kazakhs, uh, yes. Mongols, all sorts of people. You know, yep. the, the 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 men that arrive in Berlin are a are a polyglot, um, uh, a multiracial, multicultural lot, all under the Soviet banner. Which is which is, God, I mean, we barely ever talk about the Eastern Front, but that in itself is that's that in itself is a colossal subject. Yeah, oh, we must. On. Well, we've got. This plenty is a of bottomless. Time. We've got plenty play, of time. We've got plenty of time, but we must definitely get onto this. <laughs> we must. De- we must definitely get onto the Eastern Front in a bit more detail at some point in the not too distant yes. future. That is for sure. But yes, obviously, you, sure. you're going to have to do some yes. more reading before then. Well, I did the. I've, de- I've read up about Kursk. I'm all across the Roman top. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah, yeah, really yeah, 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 yeah. It's all really okay. good. That yeah. Anyway, here's another tweet or email. Um, it says tweet slash emails on my script here because we believe it or not, folks, there is a script. I mean, there's there's sort of, <laughs> it's like a fragments really. It's like messages in a bottle sent to us 
on our uh, desert island of Waffle. <laughs> right, this is from Rusky279. Hi guys, I've been listening to your podcast for the last year and look forward to it each week. Me too. My question, given the 80th anniversary of Dunkirk, would you be able to tell us more about the 10,000 that were left behind at Saint-Valéry? My dad's uncle was in the 51st who were tasked to fight, fight to the last bullet where they stopped the French surrendering twice. Well, this is, um, I mean, this is a, this is a sort of, cause, because, because, this is quite, it is quite true. In the Dunkirk story, there is the sort of, there's the headline narrative, which is yep. the evacuation at Dunkirk, Dynamo, and, and, that, uh, 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 and the events that lead to Dynamo. But then you do have the 51st. Tell us the story of the 51st. It's the 51st Highland Division, isn't it, James? Yes. Yeah, so, so what happens is, is the 51st Highland Division are already over there, and that's all fine. Um, and what they're yeah. doing in the, in the winter of, of 1939, beginning 1940, they are rotating British divisions into the Maginot Line, which is this yeah. very, very expensive and complicated and, um, and technologically advanced series of defences that basically runs um, southwards, north-south, along the uh, French-German border. Uh, and obviously no yeah. one's and going this to get past that. Uh, and, and this is an example, uh, actually, of the Anglo-French coalition cooperating properly with each other. Um, actually, sort of, the, the units tangled up together, and people people talking to each other and sharing resources, which is yes. sort of pretty. Which is which then becomes uncharacteristic the following summer, is that because things become disjointed pretty fast, don't they? Yes, but but as but but it is their turn when the kind of where the balloon goes yeah. up at the begin the begin on the tenth of yeah. May, nineteen forty. So they're already in position on the Maginot Line yeah. when all this is happening. So they're not part of the British Expeditionary Force, which is in, you know, up in Flanders and, go, and moving into Belgium at the start of the campaign. Um, and, of course, what happens after, after the end of Dunkirk, that is the BEF in that area, you know, in, in, the, in the Dunkirk pocket, they've gone. Yeah. But there are still, of course, British troops out there. There's the bulk of the 1st Armoured Division. There's a whole host of other troops which have been on the Southern Line. And there is the 51st Highland Division. Um, and of yeah. course, France is still our ally. So just because we've got we've evacuated those from from Dunkirk doesn't mean to say that any other troops we've got in France shouldn't then fight as well because they should because until while because we are allies. part of uh, an alliance formal alliance with France we have certain obligations. So, 51st Highland Division gets gets folded into the French Ninth Corps. And put on the um, on the Atlantic coast, so they're moved out of the Maginot Line. And the next phase of the whole campaign is called Case Red, Case Root, um, uh, which Operation Red, uh, or Case Yellow was the first part. And this is the sweep yep. south and to kind of you know the Germans sweeping south and kind of finishing off the whole job. Um, and they come up against Rommel's Seventh uh, Panzer Division. And what happens is as they pull back, they're pulling back. They 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 pull back, and the French pull back um, a little bit too late. So the idea yep. is to kind of get down to Le Havre and get across the river, get across the Seine um, and, and, and head south. But, but Rommel outflanks this retreat and cuts in towards Le Havre and Saint-Valéry, which is this, this yep. coastal town just the north of, of Le Havre, before they have had a chance to get back across the River Seine. Um, and so they're trapped there. And what then happens is um, they call in the Navy to come and do an evacuation. Uh, and get them out of San Valery while they're defending San Valery, and 
um, the Navy do so, and and I can't remember the name of the naval commander, but he uses his initiative to to great aplomb and gets there and has all the all the kind of all the ships that are required to lift up the 51st Highland Division yeah. are, are there in place. But there is a terrible fog in the morning of the um, evacuation, yeah. and they simply cannot see anything. They just can't get to the coast, what, and so they're what, all put, basically they all is, get put in the back. What, what what are the dates on this? Because because. Uh, the, the it's Dynamo's of wound down, right? So it's it's well after it's it's well after Dynamo. So yeah. Dynamo is wound down when? Uh, by the Dynamo it's starts. It's, so, so, 20... it's, it's a, so so Rommel cuts into the coast on the tenth of June. So Dynamo starts on Sunday right. the twenty sixth, but actually the lifting process it's activated. You know, it's given yeah. the green light on Sunday the twenty sixth. It actually starts. Yeah. Evacu- the evacuation starts on Monday the twenty seventh, and the British bit of it yeah. is finished at about eleven thirty p.m. on Saturday the second. But then there's a whole load more yeah. French troops. So the whole Operation Dynamo is ended so on the fourth uh, of June. So it's just under a week so later. So it's at least it's so it's a week later. So yeah. so so things are very very different in France a whole a whole week later, and also the folk the focus of the focus of the British effort is basically regroup, lick your wounds. The Navy sorts itself out. The Navy's in the Navy's uh, making sure collier convoys can still run. Convoys are still, you know, shipping still going. The Air Forces, the RAF Fighter Command is sort of regrouping and, and sorting itself out and all this. So the focus isn't necessarily on uh, on a, a, another big evacuation, is it? And this isn't this isn't anything like the scale. We're only talking about one division after all, aren't we? Yeah, we are because the first first armored division does get away because they're not in the same they're not in the yeah. line with the um, uh, with the fifty first Highlands, so they're able to get away no problem at all. Um, yeah, it's it's and, and and you know it's sort of betrayed by by Churchill and all this stuff comes out. And I remember I was involved in a yeah. um in, a, in making a documentary about it um two or three years ago, uh, and I was asked yeah, to, to be a hist- I was asked to be a historical advisor. So I said yeah sure. So I had a chat with them all and told them my kind of two penner. And then at the end of it, I was um, I was asked to see the the kind of rough cuts of the film and, and pass my comments. And there was all sorts of stuff that could be changed and, and errors and all the rest of it, which you would expect on when you're making a documentary like that. Yeah. Um, and, and that was fine. But what we couldn't, of course, change was what the veterans were saying, because what a veteran says is, is gospel and no one is allowed to ever, yeah. ever quibble with it. But they were talking, you know, yeah. Obviously, they were talking very movingly about losing their mates and stuff. But some of the things they were saying was just plain nonsense with the greatest respect. Um, you know, they were talking about, you know, we were given these absolutely rubbish boys anti-tank guns and, you know, against these absolutely enormous panzers. You know, we hadn't got a hope in hell. And you're thinking, yeah. well, uh, you know, I'm really sorry, chum, but but with, with the very greatest respect, you know, you've got uh, you, you're up against Rommel, who's got these Czech tanks and a boys anti-tank gun is perfectly good against one of those. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, they're yeah, not yeah, enormous yeah, yeah. panzers by any stretch of the imagination. And it's one of those things that, you know, as yeah. memory, as time passes on, it's completely understandable you know memory distorts things and you kind of think of things in a, in a different way and and i'm sure if you were lying on the ground with your brain gun and a, a you know even a, a, a t38 was coming towards you you'd still feel pretty pretty scared but they did a whole experiment with a boy's anti-tank gun saying you know look at this yeah. it couldn't even get through 40 millimeters of of, of armor plate well that's because it didn't have to in 1940 you know, it absolutely didn't. So <laughs> the thing is, though, James. I mean, if you're if you're in that situation and you're cut off in a town, and you know it's a week since the rest of the BEF buggered off, and you have been the the coalition, let's say, has been comprehensively out for out led, 
and it's a war of manoeuvre. You might well think there's you, you, there was no point trying to take the tanks on because the tanks are unbeatable. I mean, by this point, if you see what I mean, I could, with, with, again, with memory and experience are coloured by all sorts of things, aren't they? Uh, uh, other than necessarily what's really happening, uh, as it were. After all, you know, we're all going to have very different memories of this experience, aren't we, that, that may fly in the face of an official account one day down the line. You, you, you know what I mean? But you're right, it's very difficult... It's very, very difficult to say to a, a veteran, no, mate, sorry, you're quite wrong. That didn't happen. You can't do that, can you? So we'll take a break now. We'll see you in a tick. Hello, We Have Ways listeners. It's Al here. Um, a while ago, I asked you if you could help out with something important to me. And it's this. My nephew, Finley, is very unwell with a very rare blood cancer called JMML. And the only known cure is a blood stem cell transplant. So what we need you to do is dead simple. Go to www.dkms.org.uk and log on and find out if you can be eligible to be a blood stem cell donor. It's very simple. All you've got to do is rub a swab around inside your cheek, put it in the envelope, send it back to DKMS, and they will find out if you're a tissue match for someone further down the line. It doesn't cost you anything, but you could save someone's life. Thanks very much for listening, and I hope in the midst of all this going on that we're dealing with in the country you can do something to help someone else welcome back to we have ways of making you talk um now uh we don't normally do parish messages in this pod but i thought it might be right to mention one birthday um a good friend of the show um uh it was his birthday early this week and we are of course talking about Jumping Jim Gavin, who would have been 113 yesterday, the youngest US commanding general in the Second World War, a lover of lovely ladies, including Martha Gellhorn and Marlena Dietrich, jumped four times into action or on one occasion into inaction. But is he remembered for <laughs> any of this? No, he's not. He fail, you failed to capture one bridge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to say, right, I've, uh, I have been really enjoying writing about Jim Gavin in my Sicily book. I really have. Um, and he's an because he's he's absolutely brilliant. I mean, he is completely fantastic yeah. in in Sicily. Yeah, um, yeah, and, but it's and, like a, you know, it's like you're right. It's like you're writing a tragedy, James. Well, hanging in the hanging later in his, you know, you're on the hubris. You're on the on the. I know. You're on the hubris bit. I know, and it's and it's just in the back of my mind all the time, like a sort of persistent tap that won't. I can't switch <laughs> off because. Yeah, you were great on the Biazzo Ridge, Jim, but. There's Nymagen, isn't there? <laughs> he was really good, though. He was, I mean, really, really tough. And, yeah. and just, I mean, yeah. you know, you talk about leading from the front. I mean, he really, really does. Um, and there's this amazing you, action. Now, that actually, that, actually, that's something I want to talk about. Leading from the front, right? Because when people like Jim Gavin lead from the front and things work out, everyone goes, what a, what a superstar he was leading from the front. What an absolute diamond, you know? Yep. Fixed bayonets, led from the front. Um, showed his men the way and all this sort of thing. But then when someone leads from the front and they say get killed, like, uh, let's say, uh, uh, General Hopkinson leading First Airborne, who's killed not, not in Sicily, but, uh, but later on in, in Italy, right? Yeah. No one says, what a dude leading from the front. You know, uh, old Hoppy Hopkinson, he, he, he showed the world he was boss by leading the front. They go, what an absolute plonker. How irresponsible, how uh, foolish... You know, like 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 um, Urquhart leading from the front, and he makes a he makes a yeah. a, a, a mess of it. You know, uh, and then for instance, um, 
uh, Frank Messavy, his headquarters, uh, who I'm, who's my new favourite general, by the way, from, Bur- from the Burma book, Burma 44, um, in all good audio bookstores soon. Um, uh, <laughs> and Frank Messavy is this amazing general. And if people don't know about him, you should go and find out about him. But he has his headquarters overrun twice. And he's cap- captured one time, uh, well, nearly captured, but uh, cuts his pips off, doesn't he? Or cuts his cuts his crowns off yep. and says, oh, I'm a, I'm a service troop. I'm not really a soldier. This is in the Western Desert. And then the second... In the Western Desert, and then evades the Japanese um, at the admin box, or ju- just outside the. He's not even in the admin box. But the, the point is, when you lead from the front and it goes well, everyone like high fives you and says, "What an amazing guy with guts and grit." And when you lead from the front, and it goes badly. What an absolute pillock! Because because Urquhart, Urquhart is arguably he, he, everything he can goes wrong does go wrong, and he adds to that at, at Arnhem, I think, by being. I mean, although. Who knows what he'd actually been able to do to influence the course of the battle, actually. Probably not a lot, because the Germans are making the decisions that are making the difference to what, what happens. No one says, what a gutsy guy he led from the front and ended up stuck in a loft for, for, two, for, for a day. Do you, you, you see what I'm saying? I do, but I, th- I think there are some exceptions to that. You know, Hopkinson, I don't think, was, was, was very good anyway. Um, and uh, no. made some really catastrophically bad decisions. Uh, and it's very clear from Hopkinson that he might have been a, you know, a damn good bloke to go and have a G&T with in the mess. But but he was so yeah. obsessed with glider troops that he lost all sense of yeah. any kind of reason whatsoever. Uh, he just couldn't see yeah. the wood for the trees. It's like, it has to be this way. There is no alternative. I don't know. And, and he may have he may have in, he may have insisted in putting gliders on pe- on uh, Arnhem Bridge, though. Yeah, he might have done. He might have done. Yeah. Ha! <laughs> but but he wasn't yes. very good before he got killed. That's my point. But but no, no, there was no, another there was but, another but paratrooper you know I... in Sicily called Hardnose Gorham, um, and uh, yeah. Hardnose Gorham is the commander of the first battalion of the five hundred fifth parachute combat team, yeah. uh, parachute infantry regiment. Yeah. He's absolutely brilliant. Again, he's one of these guys who's just completely gung ho, uh, leads from the front, does everything that he would expect his men to do ten times over. And yeah. he decides to try and knock out a tiger tank with a with a bazooka and gets killed. Um, and no one right. goes, "What a plonker! He shouldn't have done that. Why? Why on earth is he trying yeah, to knock out a, but, a tiger tank with a bazooka? Well, why on earth? Why on earth was he? Trying Everyone to just said, I mean, "What a plonk! What well, a plonk!" because it, because the the the, the, <laughs> the the tiger was was threatening. He was leading from the front, and he was trying to knock it out for by you know by the tracks, knock out the tracks. But unfortunately, the yeah. tiger tank, you know, it, it didn't work. Um, and the, and it was one of those moments where the the, the turret just went. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was the end of Hard Nosed Gorham. Um, but you know, he was you know everyone was just. I've I've never heard a, or seen a bad word about him anyway, and I've never ever seen any suggestion that he shouldn't have done what he what he did. You know, so. Well, I might suggest that he should he should have been leading his men, not not getting himself killed. Well, yeah, maybe. But anyway, but Gavin you know, certainly does know. brilliantly just, in, no, in, in it's Sicily. Just, He's really it's just, properly it's just, good. It, it, it just it is really really interesting, isn't it? Because because so much of combat, as you know, I know from reading about reading about the tactical end of things rather than operational. Take a drink, right? Rather than reading about the operational end of things, reading about the tacticals. You and I both know so much of it's to do with luck yes. and, and and sheer blind luck. That absolutely yep. nothing to do with with um, you can be you can be as experienced skilled wary or green um completely uh, uh, uh completely fresh to it as you want luck luck is luck is an enormous factor almost to the point where it outweighs absolutely everything else 
you know, Keith Douglas, for instance, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast, who, we're, yep. who whose writing we admire and whose accounts of the war we admire. And, and you know his unit very, very well. And they're a fascinating example of how you've got guys on horses one minute and by the end... It, he was killed out of bad, sheer bad luck. He, yeah. he wasn't really doing anything wrong. I mean, it, you know, and then before when we talked about um, uh, uh, Michael Vittman, for instance, yeah. he had considerable luck. Considerable luck. He must have done to have yeah, lasted a huge amount of luck at Villa Bocage. I mean, he'd have been he'd have been he'd have been, been brown bread then had it not been for the fact that the the, the anti tank gunner who was had a barrel pointed straight at his tiger. Happened to be having a slash at the time he passed, and so and so on. So so this is, but this is the this is the thing is that is that you know luck is luck is so much a part of all yeah. of this um, that, that that sometimes to say oh that guy he, he you know because because if Hopkinson hadn't been killed he'd have probably well he, would he have still been that job he'd have probably been promoted upwards you know like everyone in, yeah. in, air, in the airborne establishment eventually did because they had to grow the thing you know he might have. He might have ended up doing Browning's job the next year. Who knows? Yeah. You know, who knows? Sure. It's just, it is just fascinating the idea, the idea of, of luck that we kind of always park. I think because it's impossible to factor. Yeah, in, I think it is, it? and you I think can't... you know, it's it's very interesting talking. You know, if you're looking at, at, at Gavin or something, you know, and you look at his writings and yeah. stuff, he's he is talking about the need to be seen to be leading from the front, showing the way for yeah, 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 leading yeah, yeah. the way. Yeah. Paddy Main yeah. is exactly the same. You know, I've just been writing about him um, and when he was commander of what was briefly known as the SRS, but then became one SAS again. Um, but but the SRS, the Special Raiding Squadron, you know, their their attack yeah. on... on They do this one action where they take out of his batteries and the next action they do a couple of days later is when they attack the, the port of yeah. Augusta and they just do a frontal attack in landing craft, land in the port... And jump straight up. You know, there's lots of shooting. There's lots of firing. You know, there is a there are yeah. descriptions of Paddy Main walking down the main drag with his hands in his pockets, yeah. uh, and, and everyone's going, "How can he be doing this?" Everyone else is sort of crouching, kind of sort of you know, clinging yeah. to to the walls and sort of peering around corners. He's just wandering down, looking casual as you like, and nothing yeah. touches him. Yeah. And part of that is to give yeah. his men confidence and to just say, "Look, you know, it's absolutely yeah. fine. You know, I can do it." Had it gone wrong, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, because it does go wrong. Because there's that, that. I mean, uh, we're going to talk about the Falklands um, soon. Um, I hope in a special. Yeah. We've been talking. We're going to do a week of specials we? on the and Falklands. We're going to do a we'll, as we'll, a one-off because there's a story from the Falkland, the Falklands when they. Uh, I think I can't remember which. Um, it's Mount. It's Tumbledown, I think, or Mount Longdon, where they're stuck. Whoever it is, uh, the, the, I think it's the guards are stuck, and one of the officers says, "So we're." It's a night attack, and the fire's coming in, and there's all these sangers they've got to blow. Yeah, and they're thinking we are we are stuck here. And one of them remembers an account of the Black Watch in the desert, where an officer stands up. They're pinned down in a similar situation. An officer stands up and says, "Are we or are we not the Black Watch?" And leads a charge, and then it's immediately cut down. And everyone gets up, and then the officer's immediately cut down by an enemy fire. Right. So he's doing the exact thing you're talking about, but it gets him it gets him killed. And, and this guy in the Falklands thinks, all right, I'm going to have to do that then. So does that and gets his men un, unstuck. And it is, it is, it's interesting, this, I mean, again, this leadership thing, that this thing has to be rediscovered basically every time this happens. And, you only yeah. have to, and the other thing is you only have to look at First World War leadership, which actually isn't the way it's been characterised. More generals killed in the First World War than in the Second World War. Um, you know, that if you, were, if you were an infantry subaltern, you were, you were toast. Um, uh, at a far higher rate than anyone else yeah. in the in the army in the in the first world war, um, you know, much 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 higher casualty rate under officers because they were 
Leading from the front and be seen to be leading front because that was the that was the philosophy. It's this interesting idea though that the the generals yeah, yeah. feel they need to do it. Well, it's very interesting. The I've change. Just, I think I've just been looking at this guy called called um, Colonel Wilhelm um, uh, Schmaltz, who later becomes a um, a lieutenant general. Um, but but in yep. Sicily, he's just a, he's just a colonel, and he's describing his day and he's describing what he has to do, and it's just so interesting because you know he sort of gets up crack of you know before dawn. Has to go and talk, you know, the, the, the new staff he's got aren't quite up to speed because they're ex-Luftwaffe types in yeah. the Hermann Goering division, so he's got to kind of train them. Then he has to go and see everyone. Yeah. He has to make sure that all the supplies are coming through, that people are being fed up yeah. at the front. Then he has to go to his battalions. He has to go and see them. Then he has to go, not only he has to then get out of his car, he then has to walk up to the kind of advanced posts so that the so that he can see because he's saying, you know, there's so much going on in modern war now. The days where a general could sit behind and sit behind a desk, that's all gone. You know, the commander has to be at the front and has to be able to see everything because he says one of the main reasons for that is he's getting so much conflicting reports. His units are all over the place. Yeah. And one is saying, I'm having this critical situation. And, you know, he's saying one person's critical situation is another person's quite serious situation uh, or another person's, you know, bit of a headache, but not too much of a hassle. So he said, you know, you have to kind of be able to get to know your commanders. You have to be able to interpret what they're thinking. And you have to be able to prioritise what is the most important and what isn't. And he said, the only way you can do that is going on the ground. So which is why every single day he's constantly moving back and forth, back and forth, going from A to B to C to D all around, never stopping for a minute. And, And it was just fascinating. Yeah. Well, all of that from Jim Gavin's birthday. Um, You've been listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Enjoy your drinking game. Keep calm. Carry on. By the way, a chapter of Zeno's Magnificent Cauldron each day from this week, which will take about three weeks, I think, because there's uh, 22 chapters in all. Um, Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Cheerio. And bye for me. Cheerio.